Sounding Board, the monthly podcast from new and classic music discussion since 2016. Follow the team on Twitter and Facebook at Sounding Board 69. Welcome to episode 31 of Sounding Boards. Tonight we're in Leeds. I'm Rob Langham and I'm very glad to be welcoming back Neil Kennedy. Hi Rob. Co-founder of the pod along with the now consigned to history Ben Woolhead. <laughs> it's good to get the band back together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so a pleasure <laughs> to have Neil with me. We're going to be doing a few things today, including talking about the heritage of Leeds as a music city, which uh, is actually much more varied than I really thought once yeah. I started looking into it. And there's some tremendous stuff going on and there's been great stuff over the years. But also a little bit about our favourite albums of 2018 so far. This is assuming that we're hopefully going to get the pod released at some point in July or early August 2018. Uh, first of all though on the news section there was really only one place to stop because on the day of recording the Mercury Prize for 2018 the shortlist has been announced and Neil what are your initial thoughts about the shortlist? Yeah well about the shortlist is interesting I mean just in terms of some of the discussion that I've heard today on the radio in the somewhat limited kind of like online and press coverage I've I've come across I'd say the sense I get is that response has been a bit muted, no one's been particularly blown away by the nominations, a lot of stuff that from bands that are pretty well established and also some stuff that I'm never really sure with the Mercury Music Prize when where they're pulling their stuff from in terms of cut-off and things like that. I mean, the Wolf Alice album getting nominated that came out in September 2017, and in fact the Everything Everything record, A Fever Dream, that came out in August last year, you sort of wonder where the start and end point is. And it kind of it always leads me on to a, a bigger point of discussion, which I know Alexis Petridis, when he used to do the Guardian podcast and they cover the Mercury, would go into uh, you know a lot, which is what's the point of the Mercury Prize? You know, what's it for? What's its parameters? There never really seems to be any. You know, is is it meant to be rewarding new music? Well, why are they nominating? Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, you know, is it, you know, someone who, let's face it, has had a lot of kind of critical adulation over a long period, and does anyone think this is his best work? Well, it's an area for discussion, isn't it, you know? I personally am pleased to um, see the Sons of Kemet record nominated, Your Queen is a Reptile. I've really enjoyed that record. I think what's slightly possibly slightly disappointing given that there seems to be a bit of a groundswell around jazz in the UK at the moment in terms of that being quite an innovative musical genre that's the only jazz album that's been nominated and so it's going to get tarred with the kind of token jazz album brush that always seems to be sort of slapped on certain releases I haven't really checked it out I've only heard the odd thing about the Nadine Shah album um, I think sounds very interesting from what I've heard and it's one I'd like to dig into a wee bit more so I think there's probably it's a good range of musical genres but not anything that's hugely blown me away 
Yeah, they seem to be ticking boxes to an extent. I mean, I have to say, I bought I bought quite a lot of albums recently. One of which wasn't an Nadine Shah album, which I caught up with because she's going to be playing the Ritual Union Festival in Oxford later this year. And this was one album that was released towards the end of 2017. And I have to say, I absolutely love it. I yeah. think it's brilliant. It's very like PJ Harvey, but there's yeah. even a little bit of Radiohead in there. I mean, I think she's a great personality as well. There's a great interview with her on the Loud and Quiet Midnight Chats podcasts and um, I'd love to see her win I think it's great even if sort of maybe musically it's not the most innovative or challenging it's just got a set of great songs and also I think with Nadine Shah there's obviously a sort of you know social comment and political motivation that's filtered through her own personal background and history and I think with some of these other records if you're looking for that stuff lyrically in this time that we're living now it doesn't really come across to me in some of the other records that have been nominated. No, I mean, just to see, I mean, you mentioned him before, but Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds or the Arctic Monkeys. I mean, I know the Arctic Monkeys have tried something slightly different on this album, but yeah, still. Musically a bit more innovative, maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, so fair play to them on that. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of the slightly more mainstream artists like Walsall's Georgia Smith, who we've mentioned before yep. uh, on the pod. Novelist is a sort of rapper from London who, again, yep. has been interviewed by Loud Quiet for their Midnight Chats yeah, podcast. Yeah, I actually heard him being interviewed today with his manager, who's actually his mom, which right. is a nice story yeah. as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, the other interesting yeah. nominee is King Crawl, who, who seems to have received more plaudits in America, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether that's because he's kind of style of South London shtick to many of us from the UK maybe seems a bit false mm. and Americans have maybe been one removed from it and maybe been taken away from it I have to say that we did have brilliant vocal turn on a track on the Mount Kimby album last mm-hmm. year which I really like so I think Ben Woolhead the aforementioned is a particularly particular naysayer when it comes to King Cool judging by some <laughs> tweets so I think it'd be interesting to get his take and feedback over Twitter on that. Overall, yeah, not particularly interesting. I mean, it, it almost feels as if they have to sort of reward sort of long-standing people just to give it publicity. You know, if it, it was does, twelve unknown, it names, does seem like that, which makes it makes me think that you know Liam Gallagher must be really kicking himself that you missed out, you know, and his brother got in, you know. But <laughs> well, that will keep the as someone said on Twitter earlier on that will keep the music industry going. The fallout from that that he hasn't been nominated and his brother has, so hopefully we'll get some choice tweets and, and that in the instance. So interesting to see who's going to win it. I think it's pretty wide open, really. Um, yeah, I mean the the conversations I had today uh, and, and was sort of hearing on the radio that actually put Nadine Shah as one of the front runners along with with novelist and sons of Kemet as an outside bet um now whether that's just people going for the slightly more edgy stuff over the less kind of over the more mainstream stuff remains to be seen but you know that kind of has always done quite well in mercury nominations and and certainly in mercury prize winners you think of speech to bell you know for example i mean uh, that that was a record no one really would have predicted you know as being the winner um but again sometimes the favorite wins as well like the xx a few years back yeah. you know so just as a last word on this uh, i think it was uh, in september 2017 we did mercury prize special podcast actually with richie and maria from the band the other dramas came in and we talked about it its history and that year's award at that point so well worth hunting out that episode after this break we're going to be looking at some of the albums of 2018 so far that we've liked so welcome back everyone 
as promised, we're going to be looking at some of the albums we've liked so far this year in 2018 the best. And uh, Neil, what, what have you picked out? So, given where we're recording today, I thought it would be uh, remiss of me not to sort of mention, try and mention a, uh, a local outfit who I think genuinely have released one of the best albums so far this year. It's certainly one that's been stuck on my car stereo for you know the first half of the year and that's Hookworm's album uh, Microshift. A lot of people will know Hookworm's. I think on this record they've kind of evolved to some extent from being you know a, a kind of psychedelic punky band of which there's been quite a lot recently to moving more in a electronic direction certainly if you've been to see them live they've really kind of bolstered what they're doing on stage in terms of the equipment that they're using and they really have explored what they could do in the studio that they run themselves to come up with a, a new sound that could take the band in different directions it's a really powerful record it's a record that you know as well as being musically very very interesting is engaging with some interesting themes there's a, a great song on it Ullswater which is a, a lot a lot to do with the, uh, the singer MJ's uh, uh, relationship with his father who I think died of, um, of Alzheimer's and uh, and a lot to do with you know his relationship with him being able to talk to him and not no longer being able to talk to him and how you you deal with that as a as a a son of someone who's suffering from that disease. There's also uh, there's another great track um, on it called Opener, which appears halfway through the album <laughs> in a perverse way, which is a lot to do with the sort of issues of masculinity that you know are very much in the in the kind of press and the you know the wider kind of dis- cultural discourse at the moment. But it comes at it in quite a kind of positive way of engaging that you know there are ways that you know men actually and and could could come together more could talk more about how they feel about things actually trying to put a sort of a positive slant on it and i think across the record it definitely feels like rather than you get a lot of records now that are just sort of front loaded with the hits and then you know there's various kind of things tucked off at the back it does really kind of you know, move across it as a piece. There's there's some really there's a great collaboration with the band Virginia Wing, who, uh, who've also released a really good album this year as well. And I saw Hookworms when they were touring shortly as after this album came out. They did a an all day show in Leeds at the um, Bridnell Social Club, curated uh, the six bands that were on the bill with them. Virginia Wing played, and it's just such a, a powerful performance of the material that they've kind of gone from being a sort of you know, grimy kind of indie bands opening up bills to really being a band that's, you know, incredibly fresh and moving their sound in any direction. I can only concur. I think it's a tremendous album. It's uh, quite a change of direction, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, the first albums only had kind of Hawk, the first two albums had kind of Hawkwind style vocals <laughs> and like really squally kind of, you know, sort of dense guitar work. And this is definitely more electronic. I mean, some absolutely standout tracks and. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's incredible. Anything else? Yeah, I also wanted to mention the third album by the band Hop Along, which is called Bark Your Head Off, Dog. They're signed to Saddle Creek Records, who are probably best known for putting out the records of uh, Bright Eyes, Conor Oberst's stuff. That That's kind of where they're coming at the uh, the sort of Americana, indie, vaguely emo sort of milieu. 
they have moved from being a band that was very entrenched in that kind of genre to actually being a very poppy outfit now, but still very experimental in their musical influences in terms of their arrangements. There's a very kind of poetic, almost sort of short story kind of form to a lot of the uh, lyrics that the the singer in the band has through across the records. Quite a lot of musical variants as well certainly a kind of strong folk element to it but some some really kind of bouncy very kind of unashamedly poppy moments as well i think in terms of influence there's certain songs that remind me of joanna newsome but then there are certain songs that are just more kind of like straight up kind of dancey indie pop kind of stuff it's it's a really strong record i definitely recommend people checking it out okay and I think we did decide to pick two albums out each before we go on to a bit more of a freeform discussion. I mean, for me, the two I've picked are from established acts. First of all, John Hopkins' album, Singularity, which I've really enjoyed. It really seems as if it's been quite a good year so far for purely instrumental albums. I mean, others I would include are Daniel Avery, Moon Gangs, A Hawk and Hacksaw, yep. Concretism, all of those mm-hmm. different styles of music mostly. But I think this might be the one that's got me going the most. I mean, it's definitely expansive stuff and does build pretty much on his last album Immunity I mean it doesn't really move on from that in terms of the musical styles but it's just got some great tracks on it and then I really really wanted to pay tribute to Young Fathers their third album Coco Sugar it frustrates me a little bit although they did win the aforementioned Mercury Prize for their first album Dead I mean it frustrates me a bit that we don't cherish them more here in Britain I mean I just think you know we, we sometimes I think are guilty of a little bit of cultural cringe towards sort of thinking automatically that American black music is better. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. this is every bit as good as every American black music album I've heard in the last two years. Yeah. And I just think it's it's, it's brilliant. It's yeah. really, really good. It, it's maybe too eclectic for its own good. Maybe that's the problem. It can't yeah. be classified just as hip-hop or... Or, or anything, really. Yeah, I, I mean, mean the songs I've heard off of it I've really enjoyed. Yeah. They're a band that doesn't... I, they I, I, maybe in similar to hookworms that they don't really have any agenda really they're just interested in making really interesting music and doing it on their terms what i remember more than beyond this album what i remember you and i going to see them play in oxford and they're an incredibly powerful live band as well they're just you know just put most of the live performers to shame just kind of three guys just absolutely throwing themselves into their music so yeah and I, I i totally agree i think they are a band that we should rate a lot more and, and cherish a lot more in this country because they are um doing really innovative stuff i think within the genre that they're operating in yeah now in terms of other albums from me just a few quick mentions another scottish band sweaty palms bit of a glaswegian mm-hmm. take on fat white family really have enjoyed them and their album's been good. Two of the albums we've had as Album of the Month so far this year, Shopping and Cardi B, are both really excellent, very different from one another. Yeah. You know, unsurprisingly, I think, you know, a lot of sort of strong female-fronted kind of bands and, and sort of artists at the moment, which I think is good. Yeah. I've quite enjoyed one that Ben turned me on to, which is the Welsh one, Boyazuga, which has been good, you know, in terms of kind of indie, bit super fairy animals-ish maybe in places, but perhaps with a little bit more of a kind of dance beat. And on the hip-hop, David Cox, our regular kind of pod presence, has recommended a couple of things. And uh, the Royster 5-9, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, album, Book of Ryan, 
certainly seems like a good one to seek out. The track cocaine in particular is especially audacious. So, so yeah, those are ones I would pick out. How about you, Neil? Yeah, well, I mean, the the other one that David um, has mentioned, and uh, which I've heard and enjoyed what I've heard is the Kitsy Ghosts album, which I think I think is really it's really really powerful. I think it's probably more interesting to me than the the latest Kanye West album in in, in my opinion. Which one of the five? <laughs> well, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I think I think that is definitely worth seeking out. I mean, in terms of other things um, that I've enjoyed, the the sort of reissue slash re-recorded version of um, Car Seat Headrest's album Twin Fantasy it is really really interesting not quite maybe as strong in terms of songs as uh, Teens of Denial um, from a couple of years back but still you know a really really interesting album and possibly a bit more experimental I've enjoyed uh, I mentioned the Virginia Wing album uh, definitely worth seeking out if you're into sort of Electronic stuff with a little bit of an indie bent, if you like, sort of uh, stereo lab, broadcast, pram, that kind of stuff. And in terms of what was mentioned with the Mercury Music Prize, um, I can't look like I'm sort of really, really cool now because it's just sort of been nominated in the Mercury's. But the Sons of Kemet album, Your Queen is a Reptile, there seems to be at the moment a real burgeoning UK jazz scene that is doing really, really interesting and innovative stuff. Um, they're one of the forerunners in that and that record is is for a record which is basically a guy on sax, a guy on tuba and two drummers so musically interesting, diverse and powerful and they really seem like they're at the kind of vanguard of something really really interesting Really need to give that a listen although I know our regular pod presence Amy Laurent will not be impressed that their jazz album is getting mentioned on the pod (laughs) Uh, I wanted to mention a few albums that I think are broadly range from sort of average to decent but are perhaps slightly overrated in anticipation that they're probably going to appear in some people's uh, lists uh, the album by Shame the South London kind of fat white family style who I, I just I mean I've seen them live and there's a certain energy there and there's a couple of good tracks on the album but generally I, I don't really get it Aussie's rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever which is a kind of you know sort of upbeat summary kind of like guitar albums slightly more kind of commercial take I guess on parquet courts Um, Soccer Mommy who you know is a sort of you know I think really a a meat and potatoes uh, sort of folky guitarist from Nashville but the songs are elevated really by some really particularly scabrous kind of lyrics and so I think that's that she's rightly received a lot of plaudits but I don't know whether musically it's reinventing the wheel. And then most recently, only just out the Deaf Heavens latest album, which I don't get me wrong, I think is very good. It's just interesting that they seem to have moved beyond this mixture of black metal vocals with My Bloody Valentine style squalling and actually started to use some of the, the tropes of classic rock. I mean, I, I, some of the music in the background to me sounds like Derek and the Dominoes or, or Cream mixed with black metal, which is is, is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, um, it was interesting. That I'm not sure anyone was more... crying out for the Derek and the Dominoes sort of like mixed with black metal. <laughs> no, <thing>. but um, <laughs> anything else that's high up, I mean, this is Brad Libbing now here, Neil, but anything else that's high up in the list that you think Yeah, I mean, sure? in terms of things that kind of cut across a few of the the lists that I've seen have either been kind of very highly rated by certain publications or or potentially have actually been mentioned in other people's uh, 2018 lists. I mean, I like Parquet Courts. I haven't really been able to get 
fully on board with the latest album. Definitely got some good stuff on it. Hasn't really blown me away. Lyrical content is quite politically engaged, and I wonder if maybe some reviewers are really latching onto that because that's what people sort of want from a sort of slightly abrasive kind of guitar band at this point in time. In terms of other things that I haven't quite blown me away in the way that I'd hoped, so I got the uh, the latest album, the band Hot Snakes, who put out their uh, their their first album in well a number of years, Jericho Sirens. Has some strong stuff on it, but wasn't you know kind of for me more than a sort of three out of five, I think right. really. And I mean, there, there's there's a lot of stuff which is recommended by other uh, sites, you know, and I'm sure people can go on and check check out, you know, Pitchfork or The Needle Draw, and uh, you know, see what what they're sort of rating as the best stuff of the year so far. I was going to say that. The thing that surprised me, the aggregator site that I tend to go to just to sort of see what's getting, you know, general critical appraisal uh, is Album of the Year. And their um, their number one album of 2018 is a record by John Coltrane, which was his kind of lost live album. I mean, obviously, it's new music if no one's heard it before, but you wonder what that says about 2018's releases that a guy's album from the 50s is the best thing that's come out yeah yes yeah well that's sorry more more jazz (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah we're not turning into a jazz podcast don't worry (laughs) after this break we're going to be looking at the yorkshire city of leeds and its musical heritage Welcome back. So after that discussion of the albums so far that have tickled our fancy in 2018, we're moving on to Leeds, which, if anybody who doesn't live in the UK and doesn't really know, is is sort of the most popular city in the county of Yorkshire. I think it's just bigger than Sheffield. I think that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheffield, another city, of course, that's got tremendous musical heritage. So we're going to look back on the musical heritage, but first of all, I think it's important to say that as someone who spent a bit of time in Leeds, certainly in the 80s, it wasn't that nice a place, it has to be said. It was pretty grim. I used to come up for the football and the football team you know, did have a pretty reputation. bad reputation yeah, for like, yeah. hooliganism. That has certainly led at times to it being quite a bleak environment back in those days. And that's probably exemplified by things like David Peace's novels from the Red Riding Quartet in particular, which was marvellously recreated for television a few years ago, starring Andrew Garfield. And that was all about the kind of Yorkshire Ripper sort of thing, which straddled the late 70s, early 80s, and and was just a nightmare period for the city. I mean, it really was sort of a bleak town with a lot of shops building up, all the industry post-industrial decline. It was like possibly one of the exemplars of that and could have easily become another Detroit, you know, in, 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 Mm -hmm. in the UK, had Thatcher been left to do what she wanted. Happily, the 90s onwards, things have looked up a bit, albeit, you know, maybe through the prism of capital a little bit initially with things like Harvey Nichols coming to the city. But it certainly, you know, is a much nicer place these days. And I think, Neil, as a resident of nearby, you're going to sort of tell us a little bit about that towards the end of this discussion. Mm. But throughout that period, bleak or not, there have been some fantastic music. So, I mean, do you, do you think that's fair about Leeds, what I was just saying about... You know? uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, I think if you... Speak to someone who grew up here in that period. You know, there it's a bit like what well, Leeds is a city, and <laughs> link back to another music cities thing that we we did reminds me a lot of Glasgow, and it's a working city, you know, and always has been, and probably always will be. And I think you know there will have been people who grew up during that period that you talk about who 
we all have fond memories of certain aspects of, of, of things and might bemoan the fact that, oh, it's all become like, you know, hipster bars and, you know, chain restaurants or whatever now. But, you know, for I think for an average punter who's coming up for a day, that's kind of a lot easier to sort of get on board with than a place that's sort of got a sort of... Well, you, you know, to get your head kicked Exactly, in. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 so no, I think, I think that probably is fair comment, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about various musical strands in the 1980s in a minute, but I mean, I first of all <clears throat> wanted to talk a little bit about one of the musical styles that the city is most associated with and which we probably will need to devote a whole pod to at some point, and that's goth. Now, not all the goth bands were from Leeds. The Cure were you know, famously from Crawley. And I used to actually deny that they were goth because I didn't <laughs> like goth, but I like The Cure. But anyway, <laughs> that's another thing. But certainly two of the major acts of, of goth were from Leeds. Uh, first of all, Sisters of Mercy, who produced some incredible kind of bombastic kind of pop in the 1980s, which I think is actually weathered a bit well than what it sounded like at the time, because I think compared to some of the more kind of studied indie stuff of the time, which we'll come on to in a minute, it did appear to be completely overblown, like a kind of muse before the time yeah. type stuff. Um, and actually some of the tracks, though, really, Lucretia, My Reflection, wonderfully titled, <laughs> and Temple of Love and Dominion and This Corrosion yeah. were like, you know, classics, yeah. really. And when they come on an indie dance floor now, you'd be find me popping away for sure <laughs> and apparently the main centre of activity was a club called Le Phonographique which was kind of colloquially known as the Phono and it was actually inside the city's Merion shopping centre and of course all the goth stuff was there like the snake bite as the drink of choice imperceptible dancing I remember at university I would like you know people would just be like shuffling onto the <laughs> dance floor but certainly people were you know it was a big subculture and there were other bands around the scene like probably even more seminal Red Lorry Yellow Lorry uh, the cult from Bradford, yeah, who was yeah. sort of nearby, which obviously probably, I, I wouldn't mind betting the biggest selling goth single, She Sells Sanctuary, sure. which was a massive yeah. hit in America. And then Sisters of Mercy led into the mission. It was mm-hmm. a sort of split as early as 1985, actually. And the mission carried on the, the very, very overblown style but their, their track tower of strength is always seen as yeah. sort of you know an absolute classic <laughs> perhaps appropriately sisters of mercy andrew eldritch was the, the the head man of course perhaps appropriately their singles collection is called a slight case of overbombing, which i think kind of just about sums it up really but uh, it was certainly something that was defiantly non-mainstream and like something that the city of leeds is really associated yeah with. and i think um i was gonna say i mean if if anyone wants to get a sense of Leeds as a music city or at least a starting point could do a lot worse than go to the Leeds City Museum and in there it has slightly kind of a it's, it's a wee bit cheesy but actually has sort of mocked up bedrooms from the period one of which is a, a goth bedroom which is basically a bit like being in a black box theatre but you can sort of see you know sort of like Fields of the Nephilim and, you know, Sisters of Mercy records and stuff like that sort of strewn on the floor. And then there's another one which is more of a reggae kind of like room and then one which is more of the to do with the kind of post-punk scene, which I'm sure we'll go on to talk about. And that's also pretty similarly associated with maybe a little bit earlier in Leeds' musical heritage, yeah. So on that post-punk scene, I mean, the, the major <coughs> band one thinks of immediately a gang of four. Absolutely. Um, their yeah. influence is massive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think their influence can be... 
can be really strongly traced in the States, I think. While obviously they were sort of seen, I think in some uh, cases in the UK, there are people find that all the kind of like situationist stuff that they were signed up to a little bit kind of uh, daft. This, they, they were, you know, they were, they wrote, so had some absolutely killer singles and, you know, and the first album, Entertainment, is, a you know, for me, one of the seminal British guitar albums. But I think the influence that they they then had across the, uh, across the sea in the States on bands that came a little bit later, like The Minutemen, Sonic Youth to a certain extent, even like early R.E.M. and certainly Nirvana when they were first starting out, I think... You know, Andy Gill's guitar style and things like that was was really really seminal, and also the fact that they were, you know, they they were unashamed about their kind of political influences and you know having you know songs that were highbrow and kind of they did, there wasn't any shame in in talking about those issues. Uh, the other band, of course, that kind of came out of that scene that were a bit more anarchic, and and there was also a kind of anarcho punk scene that was kind of sat separate to that. Was the Mekons as well, of course, who were sort of John Peel favourites and who didn't seem to be able to stick to one genre of music for more than about one single. It felt <laughs> felt like yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gang of Four, of course, were almost single-handedly responsible for the early noughties. Uh, um, post-punk, post-punk revival, revival yeah, yeah, with Franz yeah. Ferdinand, Maximo yeah, Park, yeah, and yeah, Future Heads. Yeah. And, um, to such an extent that they re-recorded their material and re-released it to yeah. tie in with all that stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. were, really. I mean, it really is an innovative, different album because it's sort of... Uh, entertainment it kind of welds guitar music with funk really and yeah, that's the yeah, thing that absolutely it's a bit yeah. like the pop group who yeah. were analogous in bristol yeah and so, also yeah. i mean the 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 song that always um stands out to me is uh the very last track on the album uh anthrax which has this uh kind of in- incredible like really really long kind of almost Jimi hendrix kind of psychedelic feedback guitar thing mm-hmm. and then goes into sort of dual vocal thing where you have a song vocal but then Andy Gill just kind of doing this you know very kind of deadpan monologue Mm. about why the band don't sing love songs and it's sort of incredibly jarring and incredibly disorientating but like absolutely heart-stoppingly brilliant I think as a track yeah yeah I mean interestingly some of the other bands from a bit later I mean although (coughs) Lyrics probably didn't didn't match what was going on overall that was going on in say Glasgow or Manchester during during the 80s in terms of the indie scene there are some one or two really classic bands I mean the wedding present in particular I would say have uh, really stood the test of time They're still probably going the, yeah probably the quint- <laughs> probably playing somewhere tonight <laughs> quintessential particularly the George Best album which I yeah. think is from 1987 or 88 yeah. just a string of great songs on that album indissolubly linked to Leeds and then of course their follow-up band the Ukrainians as well I mean politically you mentioned uh, Gang of Four I mean in a later style of politics sort of maybe paving the way a bit for kind of the sort of crusty new age traveller type thing there's Chumbawamba who who became perhaps a bit unfairly in the 90s seen as a bit of a joke band because yeah. of like various incidents with John Prescott at the Brit Awards <laughs> yeah. and things like that and also top thumping their their best known song being used in sort of playoff finals and things and like being just played to death basically. But I think like overall that kind of anarcho 
that punk thing was a real aesthetic in Leeds, wasn't it? And Absolutely. I think you, you found a website. Yeah, well, there was, there's yeah. a really interesting, I'd, I'd encourage anyone who's interested to seek it out, uh, some gig photos, but also just general kind of like photos documenting the, uh, the Leeds punk, anarcho-punk scene, lifestyle that were done by a guy called Andrew Bannerman Bayliss and you can find them online on his website they're, they're really really interesting he he took a lot of photos of gigs at a venue called the Duchess of York in Leeds which was particularly at its height in the 80s and 90s I mean some of the pictures he took are of bands you know seminal you know US and Canadian punk bands like No Means No and Fugazi playing there but then he also has lots of pictures of you know goths and punks just like hanging out in Leeds in the mid 80s living in squats getting into scrapes with the police you know like all that kind of stuff and it like you were coming back to what you were saying at the start Rob it has a real it lets you see the city in a different way in a very and it shows how much it has changed you know that you could come off the train station hang a right walk a little bit beyond the main kind of drag of the hedgerow and you would just be in a place where there were loads of punks living in squats you know Mm. or you were deep in the red light district you know and that was bang in the city centre you know so it's a real kind of it really kind of shines a light on that that kind of got past time, yeah. I mean, it's a countercultural city, isn't it? I think, sure. at heart, yeah. you yeah. know. And I think, although no matter how many kind of pizza expresses you can <laughs> you can sort of build, I think it's always going to have that, you know. And I think yeah. it's 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 going to be defiant and sort of state what it is. And sometimes that doesn't work, you know. You you know sometimes that means that things can become inward looking, but yeah. other times it can provide. An incredible flowering of creative energy. So, yeah. so great place to be. And just on the contemporary scene, some of the bands who've appeared in the last few years, a lot of them have sort of come through the prism of the university. So, Alt J, you know, met at Leeds University in 2007, but sort of moved to Cambridge, and most of their releases mm. were actually released after then. Yeah. And then Wild Beasts were formed in Kendall, but relocated to Leeds, and a lot of their stuff was you yeah. know, obviously influenced by being in the city yeah. I mean the scene these days Neil as a, as a nearby resident yeah. I mean you know there's a lot to talk about isn't there I mean yeah you know, definitely I mean I've, I've already mentioned Hookworms and the record yeah. they put out this year I mean I think and there's bands that are sort of fit with my personal kind of uh, you know, musical taste like Bilge Pomp, who've been going, who put out stuff on Gringo Records, have been putting out stuff for years, um, and I've got some new material coming out. It's really, really strong. You've um, you've very sort of graciously skirted over a, a period in Leeds' uh, sort of musical history, which uh, I feel should be acknowledged on this podcast. Um, in the mid noughties when the Enemy announced to announce that the, it was the coolest place to be in a band. I think this was about two thousand and five or something like that and proclaimed it, it, it and Sheffield as being New Yorkshire I don't know if you remember this particularly ignominious Kaiser Chiefs Kaiser Chiefs were certainly kind of I think they were sort of very much in the ascendancy at that point possibly even you know near the top of the charts by that stage yeah. but you had bands like The Music um, yeah. If you remember them, yeah, Pigeon Detectives, yeah. um, and slightly more kind of cred were bands like Forward Russia, who put out some pretty interesting music, very kind of like in the kind of dance punk, dance metal kind of thing. And one of the guys from them did a record label called Dance to the Radio, and there was a lot of 
the local bands are reflected through that. And I think probably a few of those local bands have probably spawned outfits that are still going today. I think there's there's certainly there's always been a dance scene that I'm I'm not really fully able to sort of like you know, talk about an Utah Saints. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> but um, I think there's uh, that's certainly kind of um, been there. But in terms of the places where the scene is kind of strongest, yeah, I've mentioned the uh, the Brunel Social Club, which has is actually two venues with a, a linked social club that's out in the Hyde Park um, area of town. And you know, you walk in, go for a drink in there, and it is still like being the in this working man social club but there just happens to be sort of great music play on either side of it the other kind of venue that I frequented a few times uh, is uh, the academy which formerly used to be the town and country club mm. which was a venue that ran for a long time and it's it's one that uh, you know has is, is still bringing in you know big bands I just saw the uh, the Californian band the OCs play there mm. recently who were ably supported by England versus Croatia on the night that I saw them <laughs> so you know, so. you're in a good mood well no I'm not saying absolutely nothing <laughs> uh, you know yeah yeah but I was, I was a complete neutral and now in the centre of town there's a there's a huge kind of enormous dome um, stadium the first direct arena and that's where your really really big bands will be will be playing when they come to town but you've also got little kind of like enclaves of interest in musical endeavour going on so there's there's a place called the Temple of Boom which mm. is a, a kind of punk DIY place that puts on you know kind of heavy put you know hardcore kind of uh, punk stuff Mm. And then you've also got the Wharf Chambers, which is a kind of members-only place, but has a lot of really interesting yeah. kind of punk and indie bands coming through as well. What about a record shop? Is there, is there well, a good one? Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, there's a couple. Of, uh, there's certainly, the one that everyone knows is Jumbo Records, which has been going for a, a very long time and uh, puts out. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's a real kind of like great one-stop shop, really, for both the latest kind of interesting um, vinyl uh, releases and also for gig tickets as well. And it's a bit of a hub for the community. Crash Records as well. Um, I haven't been in a while, but like that's a very good record shop as well in Leeds. Yeah. yeah. As we've discussed on our previous uh, musical city pods, which we haven't done one for a while, but we've done sort of previously a couple. I mean, Glasgow, as Neil um, previously mentioned, and Cardiff. It's that infrastructure that is important for forming a good scene. Absolutely. And um, yeah. we did Oxford as well, of course. And we've got a lot of good venues in a record shop and a way of kind of sharing ideas and presumably recording space as well. Yeah. Then that makes all the difference, and Definitely. Leeds does seem to be. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you go to shows and shows are busy as yeah. well, which does kind of tell you a story about, you know, it is a musical city that you're not pitched up at places and you're one of only three people there. Yeah. Okay, well, that's great. I mean, we could have gone on for longer, but, you know, we don't want to try your patience. Uh, After this break, we're going to round off the pod by talking about the album of the month, which is from Sink Your Teeth. Welcome back, everyone. The album of the month we're going to sort of briefly discuss, having already talked about Leeds and the albums of the year in 2018 at great length is an album from uh, a Norwich duo, female Norwich duo, Sink Your Teeth, and the album is eponymous. And uh, I think it's quite an interesting release, isn't it, Neil? I mean, what were your impressions? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I think it's interesting when bands sort of give themselves limitations and work through what they can do within the limits of, 
being a two-piece, being quite kind of, yeah, musically quite Spartan, really trying to foreground uh, the lyrics and the rhythms in in the music that they're making. I think across the, the whole piece, I personally, I felt the album was slightly uneven. I think there are some songs that stand out a bit more strongly than others. Maybe some experiments that don't quite work or they haven't got a strong kind of pop hook or melody as maybe they, they need to in such a kind of like sparse musical environment that the band has. I think the song that the song that actually stood the most for me was the one at the very end called The Law, where without getting too kind of muso, there's quite a kind of interesting bass sound. It's a that bit she, new order it, yeah, it's yeah. Got, it's, it's, I think she's using a, a bass chorus pedal um, yeah. to get the sound but um, and then there's also some guitar which um r- really isn't in evidence elsewhere on the record. But just having those kind of extra elements just really kind of make it I mean it's also got a strong melody and she's got a really great voice but um, it just all kind of comes to the fore and you sort of think when you've seen that at the end of the album is that maybe going to be the way that this band goes without wanting to dismiss this record out of hand it, it seems like a starting point towards maybe getting somewhere else you know I don't know what you thought. well I think you're probably right I mean I actually think the, la- the last two tracks are the best two I mean Control yeah. which is the yeah. one before that is also very good I mean as like you said there's a real sparseness to it I mean some of the musical comparisons I would make would be you know the the single, the classic single by the normal Warm Leatherette, which uh, is from yeah. the kind of yeah, yeah post punk era again, which we've mentioned, and also much of the the music from Sheffield in particular from around that era, mm. and especially sort of throbbing gristle really. I think minus obviously some of the kind of weirdness, <laughs> yeah. but I think like there are elements of it that are, are very like throbbing gristle, a bit of New Order, even a bit of Donna Summer here and there, yeah. but and then certainly elements in terms of aesthetic of slits and bow wow wow yeah i i mean i think the slits probably would be uh, you know a kind of touch point for me maybe a bit maybe not quite so much kind of attitude as like Harry up had you know like in in the kind of vocals and things like that but there's there's that kind of like element to it a lot of the reviews i read were talking about bands like um, esg and liquid liquid and i ju- i didn't really get that i mean th- there's a, there is a funkiness to it but it didn't really kind of like put me in mind of the, that sort of post-punk, those sorts of post-punk bands so much. To some extent, there is sort of like a little bit of kind of metronomy as well. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, I think on this record, maybe not as kind of uh, such strong pop tunes as you'd get with, from metronomy. I mean, to be fair to the band, that's maybe not the direction that they're really kind of going in. But when you're operating in that sort of like 80s-influenced kind of bass-led pop you know indie stuff it's gonna lend itself towards thinking of it in that in that sort of sense i think yeah yeah it's not it's not an album i think it's fair to say that's going to appeal to the mainstream it's very sort of rooted in sort of 1980s kind of you know student union <laughs> kind of you know yeah, politics yeah. and i mean but it's very vital at the moment because you know it's, as, as we know it's, it continues to be sort of a bit of a grim environment for women and they are avowedly and outspokenly feminist and it's uh, really good to hear that yeah. and there's a great interview with them again on loud and quiet that i keep on name checking but there's a great interview with them on on their website which is very very interesting and again we were just talking about norwich's musical <laughs> legacy i mean i think aren't let's eat grandma who are getting some discussion yeah. at the moment they're from norwich so I think. I, I, yeah. that way i think yeah yeah, yeah it's certainly kind of like norfolk or cambridgeshire somewhere like that yeah yeah I think yeah um, you yeah. just mentioned oh bear suit well i mean the yeah. thing i mean 
Gemma Cullingford, who's the bassist, was in uh, apparently was in I wasn't aware, but was in the band Kato, who were from Norwich. Mm-hmm. Who were I I used to think were a really kind of decent sort of indie rock band from Norwich. But yeah, uh, yeah, Bear Suit. Uh, for me, are the kind of synonymous with the kind of music from that city because you know they were always kind of appearing in the the Peel Festive Fifty and stuff. Like that. A really kind of interesting event. If there's all, again, I mean, it's a much smaller place than Leeds, but like it clearly has kind of an interesting kind of artistic experimental kind of musical scene that's fostering this sort of stuff which is great I think so and uh, if you go back and listen to our fourth interview pod with Matthew Worley who's author of No Future which is a book about the punk and post-punk years he's actually from Norwich and we talk in that pod a little bit about what the scene was like in Norwich in the 70s and 80s and it's pretty interesting for sure you know as I say a small city much much smaller than Leeds but and probably not enough for us to do a whole pod (laughs) but uh, you know certainly glad to be able to mention that in the context of the Sink Your Teeth album anyway thanks very much Neil great to have you back on the pod and hopefully we'll get you back again we might even try and restage uh, 2017's album of the year recording in 2018 in <laughs> yeah. December if I can make it It'll be interesting to see which of these albums we've talked about that end up you know I mean I'm interested to hear what comes out in the second half of the year now yeah. Definitely yeah so we'll see about that You can follow us on at soundingboard69 We are now on 31 pods hopefully we'll have another couple coming in the next month or two and uh, thank you very much for listening as always <laughs>